0: Welcome to the South Fellowship Church podcast. Here at South Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Uh, How are you doing? (laughs) We're all better now. Uh, welcome if you're visiting South my name's Alex I'm one of the pastors here it's really great to have you here we're in a a journey a a Lenten journey Lent is this season if you're unfamiliar with church calendar that will lead us all the way up to Easter it'll lead us all the way through Good Friday uh, all the way up to Resurrection Sunday we'll have these lows and these highs to it it's a season of repentance of restoration a season that's designed to catch you off guard. If you are jumping into faith for the first time, if you would say that's not really been part of my story, this is a great season to begin. We get to spend this time contemplating who Jesus is and, and what Jesus did. If you grew up perhaps in a Catholic background and you have what you might call some baggage from that, you might find Lent a challenging thing. Let me just say this, Lent is not a Catholic Thing. It's actually much bigger than that. It's a thing that's been around since around 320 AD. It's older than East versus West. It's older than Protestant or Catholic, any of those dynamics. And so we make this journey, and we're doing that this year through the Sermon on the Mount, yes, but specifically through passages from the Lord's Prayer, this, this famous prayer that, that may be better called the Disciples' Prayer. Uh, it's a it's a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray a prayer that most of you even if you didn't grow up in the church probably know and today we get to that passage forgive us our what how many of the sins crowd here how many of you are sins people (laughs) not the sinners how many of you are sinners how many of you are trespass people trespassers there how many of you are the debt people the debtors yeah How many of you find it deeply frustrating the other people don't know how to pray this prayer? It's like, I hear you in those moments we say it and you're like, "Ah, I'm so mad. I don't have any control. The guy up front keeps saying the wrong word. It's terrible. Last week, we talked about bread. Give us today our daily bread and we left with this idea. God's will for the world that is shaped out in ideas like your kingdom come, your will be done, maybe deeply related to God's will for your bread you have stuff and sometimes our temptation as humans is to hoard that and actually it seems like the call of Jesus in this prayer is to surrender that what I hope you notice over the next couple of weeks is this there is a heartbeat to this prayer that comes through in every single moment of it there's this idea that is surrender There's this idea that it's not your world, it's his world. There's this idea that it's not your stuff, it's his stuff. And even as we come to some of these next parts, what we get to see is that our ability to make things happen is actually limited. And what we're invited to do is come to the God of the universe and say, I need you to be with me in this because I know me. And I know my ability to function well in this life is limited. I need you to be present with me. The heartbeat over and over again is this idea of surrender. Surrender, surrender, surrender to who God is. Surrender to how he would have you live. Surrender to his way and his heart as we have upon the wall and talk about all the time. Matthew chapter 6 verse 12. The continuation of this prayer is this. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and which is it going to be? Is it going to be debts, sins, or trespasses? I feel the tension. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive also have forgiven our debtors. Debt crowd, good job, you were right, everyone else. (laughs) Hopefully you see that you're right too. We're gonna to start to push into this realm of what it is to ask for the forgiveness of sins. A, a sense, and need that has been almost universal. Back throughout history, human beings have had this sense of their own inadequacy, their own failure, their own struggles. Perhaps it's covered by the noise of this world. Perhaps it's covered by the busyness of life. Perhaps it's covered by the narrative that we tell ourselves. But back in the earliest human story, there is this idea that a couple found themselves naked and ashamed at a failure. And perhaps you find yourself feeling, I'm in that spot now, that emotion of all is not well. We see this in literature. This is Macbeth, in Shakespeare's Macbeth, stars hide your fires. Let not light see my black and deep desires. Macbeth's desire, his request is that the the stars even would be blotted out, that there would be no light to shine on him and all his broken humanness. We experience this in our own little stories. Some years ago, my wife took my kids to visit a friend. They'd never been to this house before, and they were given the house rules as they began to just hang out and have fun together. My daughter, Gigi, was about four or five years old at the time, and so one of the rules they were given is, in this house, don't touch the plants. In other houses, you can touch plants, perhaps, but in this house, don't touch the plants. Not because the person was particularly attached to those plants, but because those plants had a way of attaching themselves (laughs) to you. That was a great joke. <laughs> these people in the Northeast, for some reason, where you can grow real plants, decided to grow cactus or something like that. And, and so they were told, be, be, be clear on this. Do not touch these things. And then some hours later, as they'd continued to play, my oldest daughter came to my wife and said, Gigi is in the bathroom and she's crying and she won't come out. She's crying and she won't come out. And so Laura eventually managed to persuade her to open the door, uh, and she's there just with floods of tears down her face. And she shows Laura her hands. And she'd been trying to wash out the prickles from this cactus, knowing that she should never have touched it, knowing that she'd broken the rule, knowing that she was deeply in pain. And so there she found herself covered in shame with tears down her face and prickles on her hands saying mommy I didn't mean to I need I need some help I need some help That's this That's the heartbeat Forgive us our sins Forgive us our sins because we constantly find ourselves in spaces where we shouldn't be Con- Forgive us our sins because we constantly touch the cactus even though we were told not to. This is where we land today, in that deep desire. This is the stuff we want to hear. This is real prayer, isn't it? Isn't this what we want? Would you forgive us? Because I misstep. I misspeak. I am not who I want to be. And the challenge, perhaps, is that the more you follow Jesus the deeper your understanding of this is. It may be that life changes dramatically for you, that there's concrete sins that you feel like you left behind years ago. There's perhaps moments where you no longer walk into stores and take stuff that wasn't yours. Perhaps some of those things have disappeared. And yet I think the more you follow Jesus, while you become more like him, you become also more aware of your own particular struggle to follow him well. And so this is all of us. All of us find ourselves at times covered in prickles from a cactus, not knowing how to deal with it ourselves. So when we get to this point, what does Jesus say? What are the words he chooses to use? Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. The word forgive is fairly simple. It's this Greek word, aphes. It means to send away, to release, to remit, to cancel it. To let it go. To no longer have to own it. And the second word, though, is more complicated. And forgive us our debts. As we've already pointed out, there is a tension between just exactly what this means. But I would suggest very specifically in Matthew's gospel anyway, Jesus uses the language of debt. He uses the language of debt. That which is old. Apheliamata is the Greek Word. It's convenient for us that he uses the language of debt because perhaps more than any society in the history of the world, we understand debt, right? Maybe some of you in the room do not understand debt. I would love to be where you are because I feel I understand it very personally. This is the human debt average as provided by Dame, Day, David Ramsey, the American debt average. Total debt for human beings, personal debt, $15 trillion. The average household owes more than $150,000. The average credit card debt for an adult in America, $15,000, $14,000. Student loans averaging $60,000. Auto loans averaging $31,000, and mortgages averaging $202,000. If you get to look at all of those character categories and put a zero, that's a wonderful place to be. How many of you did not get to put a zero? There's gonna be some of us, right? And so we have images that look like this. <laughs> if any of you have been crushed by a giant credit card, you have my sympathy. And then this one, which is where I want us to land today. This is the image of debt that is most similar to the image that Jesus uses and is best demonstrated by the scales on either side of me that I built with my own fair hands. And so they may fall over, that's the downside, right? (laughs) This is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a sense of debt that is vertical, that goes upwards, that has me or you on one side. That's going to be enough to send it off. And then has God on the other side. This is the universal experience, and how this idea of debt worked in Jesus' language is this. There is what is old. That's the language. Uh, And then there are scales that measured it. In the ancient world, how you would measure a debt is this. You would know not the amount of it specifically, but the weight of it. It would always be categorized in a weight, and so you would take the amount that was owed and place it on one end of the scales, and then to pay off the debt, you would have to match it on the other end of the scales. The scales that tipped away from you were bad scales, and the, the scales that tipped towards you, were well, those, those were the good scales. Those were the ones that you wanted. The ancient world had a very concrete understanding of the fact that there were things that had been done There were things that had been done, never played baseball, that slowly moved the scales that way. And then there were practices that could theoretically rebuild the bridge. There were things that you could do that would slowly move it. The question was <laughs> The question was how did you know whether it worked or not how did you know what was enough to move the scale how did you know whether you'd done enough practices to bring it down to parity how did you know you'd paid off your debt That was a problem for the first century Jewish person. Did your acts of righteousness, as they were called, Did they do anything? Now, it can be a bit of an anachronism to imagine that a first century Jewish person was concretely trying to figure out how to get to heaven when you die in language we might use today. But there was at least a sense that somewhere sin had to be recompensed, whether through sacrifice or or whether through acts of righteousness themselves. Jesus uses the language of debt, but it's really clear that he's talking about sin he uses the language of debt but he is talking about sin now hard for us to understand is this for a first century person sin was a thing it was a concrete thing not just an action it existed it had desires in Genesis chapter 4 we read this if you do what is right will you not be accepted if you do not do what is right sin is crouching at your door it desires to have you. Sin has desires. Sin needed a metaphor to help people understand it because it existed, but it wasn't concrete in our world in a way that could be understood. And there's a lot of history of sin in the Old Testament being used with the term debt attached to it in Daniel chapter 5. We read this, you have been weighed on the scales and you have been found wanting. This was language for people in the first century. How do you make the scales balance? How do you live a life that is not found wanting? How do you move beyond that concrete idea of sin? But Jesus probably uses this word which is an Aramaic word. Jesus spoke Aramaic. He didn't speak Greek. It means his words were translated into Greek, and then those words were translated into English. That makes it complicated. That makes it difficult. Generally, as a general rule, the older the language, the less options there are for words. So older languages tend to have less ability to be creative. This Hebrew Aramaic word, which I'll try and pronounce, but I'm not good at speaking Aramaic, Hoba you've got to get the ch, And too much is bad and not enough is bad as well, so hopefully I landed in the right amount. It could be translated sin, could be translated debt, could be translated trespass. So when you pray this prayer, those of you that pray debt, you are right. Those of you that pray trespass, you are also right. Those of you that pray sins, you are right too. Jesus is very clear that we can say that debt and sin are the same because in his sort of like ending to the Lord's Prayer, he adds this addendum. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. He makes sure by adding this addendum that we know that when he talks about debt, he's talking about it in the context of sin. Luke goes about making sure that we know this in a different way. He uses both words in the prayer itself. So if you flip over, if you have a text in front of you to Luke chapter 11, you can read Luke say, Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. But in Greek, it doesn't say just that. In actual fact, a literal translation would be this. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone indebted to us. Luke makes sure that he gets both of those concepts in the text, and so we know that he's talking about, yes, debt, but debt as a metaphor for this larger struggle that we have as human beings, this need for forgiveness that we began with, that we articulated, the sense of the cactus prickles that are all over our hands and needing something that can deal with them. In the first century world, forgiveness was transactional forgiveness was transactional how do you make this balance how do you get the scales to even and Jesus says you don't you don't in the first century world forgiveness was transactional Jesus makes it relational Jesus makes it relational at this point before the cross Jesus says when you pray pray our father forgive us our debts as we forgive those who debt against us right now the lead is buried the big story is buried we don't know where it's going yet we're waiting to see and we get to know as we re- reach into the story all of the ways in this, this this will be deeply costly to the one who makes it happen but right now he tells us this is what's coming this is the new shift forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. No longer a transactional thing. No longer to be measured by scales. To be prayed in relationship. To be asked for in a bathroom with cactus prickles over your hands. I need some help with this. Don't know what to do. I don't know where I am. And then we get to the difficult part, because this part all sounds great. And then Jesus attaches our debt to God to the debt others owe us. So then we get to feel the inverse scales, right? Because very few of us have the emotional intelligence to know the ways that we might have built up debt with others. But most of us are deeply aware of different ways that people owe a debt to us. Whether it's the person that pulled in front of me as I was Pulling into a road and just nearly crashed into my new car. There's that sense that the scale starts to tip that way. There's the people that irritate you, the people that you don't like, the people whose names you remember. Now, there's probably stuff on the other side of the scale, right? But most of us don't think about that part of the scale because you're the only one who's you. You're the only one with your deep emotion, your experience of the world. You're the only one whose feelings that you can assess. I'm the only one whose feelings I can assess. Now, I don't want to diminish that. There's the silly things that we all kind of pick up on, the irritations that we all have. But sometimes the stuff that's much bigger than that, sometimes the stuff that we're concretely aware of, things that have been done to you, violations, injuries. The person who walked out, the person who bankrupt the business, the ex-wife or ex-husband. the house you still can't drive by because of what happened there. There's those things too, and they go there and give us this sense that <coughs> this other person owes me. What was done to me is wrong. Jesus takes that scale, and he attaches it to that scale. And he says, if you want to lose this one, you have to lose that one as well. And about that I have questions, and I'm sure you do as well. Fortunately, Jesus just doesn't give us just this moment. He also gives us a story to work with to unpack it. Then Peter came to Jesus. Peter is one of the first disciples, the one who always has the questions, the outspoken one. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Peter probably believes he's being really generous. The, the understanding of the time was four times. Four is the limit. When someone violates something four times, you don't have to forgive again. He says seven to see what Jesus will say. And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And then he finishes with this story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. If you have an older translation of the scriptures, you may get a, a specific amount or a weight. But here we're just given 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. This is a, an, an unusual debt. This is a man who was racked up considerable expense, whose debt chart is high. This is a man who bought real estate in Denver or something like that. This is a man who knows how to spend. Since he was not able to pay, I thought about calling my mortgage company as an illustration and just saying, can you forgive the debt? Do you do that? Is that, don't think they would have said yes, but I should have tried. It would have been worth it. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Is this a good business transaction, those of you that do business out there? Is this something you can recommend? Is this king wise in the ways of the world, in the normal sense of things? No. He's allowed a servant of his to build up incredible debt. And then when the servant can't pay, as should be expected, because 10,000 bags of gold in our money would be equivalent to somewhere around 300 years of daily work, when he can't repay He says, don't worry about it. He says, no, I'm gonna forgive the debt. Although we'll come back to later, the idea that no, don't worry about it is maybe a problematic statement. The king cancels the debt. He doesn't do good business. He lets the scales do what? What does he do with the scales? He doesn't balance the scales. He throws the scales away. He stops measuring. There is no sense in which he says, no, the debt will balance out. He says, no, we won't play with these scales anymore. We won't operate this system anymore. And then what happens? But then the servant went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. I wanted to make note to focus on that idea of choking him because that's what unforgiveness has the capacity to do. It has the capacity to starve the life out of someone. I so much wanted to remember that illustration that I put this picture in my notes (laughs) to make sure remember that choking is important. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. I will find a way to write this scale, whatever it takes. I will do this over here so that somewhere, hopefully, over time, whatever it is, that will balance out, assuming it ever can these are the systems that we're talking about. This servant receives mercy here. This scale doesn't balance. It no longer exists. The master, the king, representing God, says it doesn't. we don't measure anymore. And then the servant goes out and says, I am deeply concerned about where this is. I want this to be balanced. I want you to pay me back. Remember, debts is a metaphor not the actual thing. Now, Jesus may have had an opinion on whether debt should be forgiven, and there is a whole bunch of writing in the Old Testament to talk about that, but we know from Peter's question we're in the territory of sins. How how many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? Jesus wants us and wants Peter to be very aware that your account, if you could measure it that way, with God is very much out of order far more so than any account that you can build up with human beings. Now, now let me just pause there for a second. You may feel, if you've been deeply hurt, that that is untrue and unfair. That There may be a thing that says, oh my goodness, you have no idea what was done to me. You have no idea how out of whack this scale is. And it might be that that is true. I have no idea what your life has looked like, what your experiences have looked like. That scale may be massively in deficit. It may be slid so much this way that it can't be computed in words. And yet what Jesus tells us is this, and there's no way of knowing this, no way of proving this, but simply this is what he says. He asks us to trust that we have no comprehension of what this side is really looks like either. He says, if you could measure debt, the debt you owe on this side is so much greater than any debt that could ever be owed to you. They don't compare. He doesn't say that this isn't right. He doesn't say that someone didn't mistreat you. He doesn't say that you aren't absolutely justified in feeling that what was done was unfair and it was broken and it was hurtful. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't say you should forget it. But he does say forgive it. He does say that keeping track of this side and this side are related And if you want to keep track of how you stand with everybody else, then we have to keep the scales that measure how we do here as well. He says they're infinitely related to each other. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The servant doesn't forgive and the other servants see the obnoxiousness of his behavior and so they bring him in front of the master who says, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until He should pay back all he owed. Now remember, again, all metaphor. Don't get over kind of connected to the pictures that they're using. Just hold to this, that there's this system here, our relationship with God. And there's this system here, our relationship with human beings. They are tied together. Jesus beautifully invites us to say no to the scales, invites us to lose the system of measuring how we stand up. But he says, if you wanna lose it here, you have to lose it there as well. You can't have it both ways. You can't measure one and not measure the other. What is Jesus asking us? Or perhaps why is he asking it? Maybe that's one of the questions you have. Maybe another question is this, is Jesus right? Should I have to do this? Is it fair? Isn't there a difference between divine relationships and human relationships? Is this fair, Jesus? Is this how the system should work? Some people have said, no, this isn't fair. The writer Simon Weisenhall, a Jewish person caught up in the midst of World War II, found himself in a hospital that he was forced to care for as his work in a concentration camp. He was taken one night to the room of a young Nazi soldier who was on the verge of death this Nazi soldier began to unpack some of the atrocities he'd been involved in against the Jewish nation. And he was about to die and wanted to talk to someone Jewish so he could ask for forgiveness. Began to unpack specific moments, including one in which he and some fellow soldiers had boarded up a house with 300 Jewish people in it. And then they'd lit it on fire and began to fire bullets into the house as it burned. He wanted forgiveness for something like that. Can that be forgiven? Is there any system where that seems right? Simon Wisenhall was so convinced that this was just impossible, he said, you know, God must have been on leave during the Holocaust. And that forgetting is something time alone takes care of. But forgiveness is an act of volition. And only the sufferer is qualified to make the decision. He said, I will not forgive that. I will not say that that was okay. Even though those two things are not the same. And yet he wrote letters to around 99 religious leaders unpacking his sense of just, Should I, did I do the right thing? This young man died shortly after, unforgiven. Needing a word of grace in his final moments and receiving none. 97 leaders said, no, you did the right thing. You can't be expected to forgive. Two religious leaders said, your conscience seems to be bothered by this. Perhaps forgiveness could have opened up a beautiful door. Lawrence van der Preust, this gentleman here, was a prisoner of war in Japan in World War II. A South African farmer who found himself caught up in the same conflict ended up in this torture chamber in Japan and came out afterwards being asked to wrestle with whether he should forgive. He observed this interesting fact. The official prosecutors were more vengeful on behalf of our injuries than I myself could ever be. Sometimes when we look from the outside, we're the ones that say that can't be forgiven, that is unfair. Often what people find is this, that people involved in the situation are more willing to say, I forgive, than those of us that see from the outside. And yet forgiveness is complicated, hard, and difficult. It comes with questions like, is forgiveness the same as forgetting? And what about justice? Vander Post came to this conclusion. He said, I forgive but I choose to keep fighting for justice. And those aren't necessarily exclusive terms. I can keep doing both. Forgiveness is possible, even in the face of justice. The person who hurt you, the person who is responsible, they may still go to prison. They may never move back into the house. You may never do business with them again. You may not get coffee weekly. And yet somewhere Jesus asks us to take the brave step of moving beyond it, of offering forgiveness even when the scales look like this. And he asks us to do it recognizing our scales look like this. He says, let it go. Don't use this system anymore. This system is death. Don't keep weighing how you stand with everybody. Jesus invites us to say no to the scales he asks that for you and for me he asks it for you and for me if you wrestle with a sense of your own forgiveness with God my suggestion is you may find this really problematic if you still live in a space where you believe that there's something still to be done as we move towards the cross and as we move towards easter will wrestle with the fact that you and i are often tempted to still hold to this system even when we're asked to leave it behind if you've ever said something like well i know jesus said he's coming back but i'd i'd love him to hold on for a little bit so i can get better at prayer that's you wrestling with this system if you've ever said something like yes i'd like him to find me a better follower of his still the system If you wrestle, as I have done, with the questions of can you forgive me again, still the system. And my prayer for you is that you experience the beautiful, generous, forgiving nature of Jesus who says, my delight is to throw these scales away. I found myself as a 19-year-old lost in this sense of just conviction I felt, but also guilt of everything that I'd done during my teenage years. And I remember this one beautiful moment where sat in a service questioning whether this God of the universe could ever love me. I I remember this delightful moment where a youth pastor friend spoke these words. He said, some of you are questioning this fear and this fear and this fear, and finally he named it. He said, some of you are asking, how can you forgive me again? And he said, 70 times 7 will I forgive you. And I remember as a 19-year-old, something like a dam bursting and tears pouring down my face till it felt like the floor was awash with tears, sitting amongst friends that were about the same age, feeling, yes, embarrassed, but also so free from this system that I'd been wrestling with for months, free from wrestling with the ways that I'd put stone after stone into the other side, and it never seemed to balance out, knowing finally that I was forgiven in this beautiful moment, the same moment C.S. Lewis articulates when he says that he read one day the Apostles' Creed and came across the moment where it says, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, and he said, I, for the first time, believed that was true of me. That's the invite of this Jesus story, not to balance the scales, but to do away with the scales, and yet he says, challengingly, difficultly, also do away with the other scales. Stop measuring. Stop measuring. There, why, why does he do this? Perhaps it's just as simple as the Washington Post articulates, higher levels of forgiveness, particularly amongst middle-aged and older adults, anyone who fits that category, were associated with overall higher levels of satisfaction with life and fewer reported incidents or psychological distress, including feelings of nervousness, restlessness or sadness. If you just want brain science information, that says learn to forgive but I suspect there's something else in play. How many of you have ever had this delightful moment of driving down a two-sided highway? You have this moment where your side is free and clear, (laughs) and the other side looks like this. And you see the moment that the thing starts. You're like, there's something there, it's all blocked up. And then you watch as like for 100 yards, it's still blocked up. And then half a mile, it's still blocked up and then like two miles still blocked up. And maybe this is just me and this is a confession moment, but there's part of me of like, oh, you guys have no idea like where this is going. This is gonna be like forever. (laughs) You guys are gonna be sat here till tomorrow and there's nothing you can do about it. There's no like reversing in this situation. And there's something like I'm like, kind of like looking on like, I don't know what that is. It's very broken, I admit. And I'm sure none of you have had thoughts like that. Sometimes I think we think, to to mix metaphors for a moment, that this system is kind of like related to this system, that there's the potential that we can be on a highway driving free and clear over here and it can all be blocked up over here. Like we can just ignore that. And yet it seems to me that the reason Jesus asked for this is this isn't what the road of forgiveness looks like. It actually looks like this. This is a Cornish country lane. The motto of Cornwall in England is teaching you that your car is not as wide as you think it is. (laughs) Because everyone has to drive back and forward on this lane. It is not unusual in a Cornish context to see a semi-truck coming the other way. It happens all the time. And somewhere between you, you have to figure out, like, how, how do we deal with this? It's like an honor system. Was there like a little thing I could pull into half a mile behind me? Okay, I'll just start reversing, and I'll trust that you would do the same for me. This seems to illustrate better what the road of forgiveness might look like. It's not that there's two sides to it, it's the same road. And that if you block up forgiveness towards others, the receptors, the ability to understand what it is to be forgiven, by God seem to me to get blocked as well. Jesus invites us to to unblock the system. He invites us to throw away both sides of the scales to receive his forgiveness and best of all, he models it for us himself. This is how we know best of all to jump in on this. It's something that our Savior does. In his first words from the cross in Luke 23, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. The immediate context is the Roman soldier that swung the hammer. Immediate context is, the, is Pilate who gave the order. Immediate context is the Jewish leaders that made it happen, but it's bigger than that, right? When he directed the movie, The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson made sure it was his hand that swung the hammer. You don't see a person behind it. You just see a hand and it's his. Because he said, that's me too. I'm complicit in that. Jesus looks at those around him and says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And he looks at you and I. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them for the way that they get their hands on cacti all the time, even though they've been told not to. Forgive them for the way that they show up so broken. Forgive them for the way that they can't figure out this system over here. Forgive them because they don't know. And then what he asks us is this. He asks us to do what he does and look at those people that have hurt us. It's not an organization, even if you feel like it is never an organization, it's always a person. Can be a spouse, coworker, person who lives down the street, any of those things. In the midst of our hurt and pain, he asks us to look at them and say, Those people, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And maybe you look at the situation and say, but they did know what they're doing. You don't understand. They did. They absolutely knew. They said, no, they didn't. Not really. In the same way you don't know. In the same way you don't know. And you know it. Same way you jump into something, you act a certain way, and you're like, I didn't know. They don't know we are all those broken people standing in a bathroom holding our hands out saying I need some help with this even whether we realize it or not and that's what he says he says come to me and find deep forgiveness come to me and find those scales that are so out of whack that are more out of balance than you can ever possibly understand come to me and let me know what it is to to wipe it out to say no to it to not measure anymore and then have the courage to do it to other people come to me and find that you didn't know and then look at other people and realize they don't know either choose a better system choose a better way because grace beats scales every day of the week nadia Bolz-Weber said this god's grace is not devi- defined as god being forgiving to us even though we sin grace is when god is a source of wholeness which makes up for my failings My failings hurt me and others and even the planet and God's grace to me is that my brokenness is not the final word. Grace isn't about God creating humans and flawed beings and then acting all hurt when they inevitably fail and then stepping in like the hero to grant us grace, like saying, oh, it's okay, I'll be the good guy and forgive you. It's God saying, I love the world too much to let your sin define you and be the final word. I am a God who makes all things new. Henry Nouwen said, forgiveness is the name of love practiced among people who love poorly. The hard truth is that all people love poorly. We need to forgive and be forgiven every day, every hour increasingly. That is the great work of love amongst the fellowship of the weak that is the human family. I have this addiction to fairness. I want everything to be fair. And the thing I came to understand after many years of work at it is this. The grace of God is not fair. It's not fair to me. And I'm delighted it's not fair to me. It's not fair to those around me. And I'm learning to be delighted about that. If you are wrestling with forgiveness, our invitation is to to receive prayer at our prayer space in the back. Our invitation is to contemplate over this week as we prepare for communion next week to step slowly towards that table where we'll celebrate the God who said, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. It's to have conversations, to know, to identify where that pain is, eventually to have the courage to say, I forgive. Aaron's gonna lead us in this song. It's designed to recognize our inability to deal with either side of this equation. To hold our hands out and say, Jesus, would you deal with this? Would you deal with this heart that needs your forgiveness more deeply than it knows? And help me to forgive those around me too. Jesus, you know us. You know the ways that each of us has found ourselves locked in a bathroom, holding our hands out, covered in prickles, just longing for someone to come and help, but ashamed of how we ended up here. You know the ways that we feel hurt. You know the ways that the scales of our lives with other people, well, they've just, they just feel like they weigh in one direction. and we're angry, we want revenge. We want them to know what they did to us. We want them to pay, we want justice to happen. And you invite us to this moment of laying down all of that. Receiving your grace and offering it to others. Receiving your forgiveness and offering it to others. Slowly together, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. We're going to use the language of debt. And I want you to wait for it and feel the seriousness of those words. Forgive us our debts. Take a moment to contemplate the nature of that debt. The way that you see those scales tip. Maybe look at the example on stage and feel that side overloaded and then we're going to pray as we forgive those that have debt against us feel that too our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. If you've been touched by this ministry and you want that to spread to others, you might consider partnering with us financially. You can give online at southfellowship.org give. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your day.